I am here with Galen Broadus. He is the son of a Baptist minister who actually became an atheist later in life. And the reason I wanted to talk to him this particular week is because he just won a really fascinating lawsuit in the state of Illinois. We're both from there. And I wanted to talk to him about what that was all about and why it's relevant. So Galen, before we get into the lawsuit, can you give us a little background about yourself, your story, how you got into atheism? And we'll talk about uh, the lawsuit after that. Sure. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Hammond. Um, the, the, I'll try and kind of cut to the chase on the on the a little of the background um as you said i was raised in a primarily southern baptist although um my family wasn't really that strict about what kind of baptist we were um but i was raised in a southern baptist family um my father was a minister for basically all my childhood uh what happened was for me uh, like, like a lot of people who end up becoming atheists later in life i did a lot of studying i went to christian college for a semester and just got fascinated with philosophy and theology and even though i didn't stick around at that at that college it just kind of sparked something that i think a sort of a a curiosity that i about a subject i hadn't really thought of and i spent a lot of time probably about to be honest about 6 or 7 years uh, where I did a lot of studying, and I did a lot of actually engaging with atheists. Um, I, I, I went to lots of atheist blogs uh, and and kind of interacted with people. It's the same kind of story you hear from a lot of people. There's lots of stereotype breaking and things like that. And uh, actually, a- almost five years ago, um, I just sort of had a realization that I'd come so far that I was, a, I was sort of across that line and was kind of across it before I realized that it had actually happened. And uh, so that that's about five years ago. So it's been a, kind of an interesting process from there, kind of getting acclimated to that. And relatively uh, recent, too, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and I kind of threw myself into a, a whole lot of things, one of which was um, was actually kind of carrying over. I had done um, sort of uh, quasi-ministerial work um, in the church that I had been in previously. It was mostly music-related, uh, uh, but I had actually, you know, fill the pulpit. I, I was kind of interested in some of those things. And so one of the things that really fascinated me really early on after becoming an atheist was thinking, well, okay, those functions that ministers serve, yes, obviously some of them aren't relevant anymore, um, particularly the sort of the doctrinal stuff for that. That's not something I knew was going ever going to happen. But I was still curious about how you handled the other side of that, like because atheists do get married they do die. People do have funerals for atheists. Like all those those different life processes, like that doesn't end. Some yeah, people we, we typically less. give the we seed those over to the religious, but a lot of right. atheists would love to have alternatives that aren't religious in nature. Oh my gosh! And I I don't know that I've met a, a a whole lot of atheists who don't have some story they can tell about some funeral they've gone to where uh, where the minister has gotten up and, and someone they knew who was a non-believer, they just kind of completely glossed over that part, acted like they had been a Christian the whole time, or they'd been, you know, they'd been a great servant of God and like those kinds of things. There's so many infuriating stories about those kinds of things because yeah, like you said, they get passed over to, um, to clergy of some kind. And a lot of cases it's because like family members, they, they don't really know that there are any other options and, and nor do any of the people who are advising them on those things like, like funeral homes. That if, if you go to one of those, they don't often have like an option. You don't have somebody on call who like, can you come out and do a memorial, but we don't want it to be religious at all. 
Like you, you can have a pastor on call. That's almost always the case, but it's not generally the case the other way around. So I got really interested in that, and it happened that about two-ish years ago, uh, I actually um, I had been sort of connected to to the Center for Inquiry um, through a group that I was in at the time, and uh, I found out more about their secular celibate program. And I had looked at some of the other different things like the Humanist Society and stuff like that. But um, CFI's program actually was very interesting to me um, and how they did that and the fact that they were a completely secular organization. I you know, like that angle too. And uh, it was about that time actually, in I guess it was July of 2014, that they won their big case in Indiana where um, secular celebrants were allowed to solemnize marriages. So, so just was, to back up for just a second here, sure. the secular celibate program that CFI was running and and still is running mm-hmm. that my understanding of it is that it basically trains atheists in a way to do these rituals, to do marriages, maybe do other things. Fill me in. Like what else are they training you for? What are, what are the requirements you need to get into the program? And once you graduate, quote unquote, what would you be able to do in theory? Well, the training is, is mainly, well, part of it is to make sure that there's a there's a process which CFI gets to actually have some some FaceTime, some contact with people because they are going to be in some to some extent representatives of of CFI as celebrants um, under that certification. The training is mostly just making sure that people are aware of the of the the big considerations. Again, primarily for marriages and funerals, and I think that's because you, you typically can't avoid those kinds of things. Where whereas if like if you have a, a, a child entering a family through for, through birth or adoption or something like that, you know some some religions will have things like naming ceremonies or christenings, and that tends to get glossed over because it's something you, I guess you kind of can skip over that people aren't uh, as strongly drawn to that, or um, you know like for, for Judaism you have things like bar bat mitzvah sort of coming of age ceremonies those kind of get get glossed over as well. Um, so there's maybe a little bit of consideration of those kinds of things. And because, again, if people want those kinds of things, but they don't want to do them in a religious aspect, I, I'm very much in favor of give that option. Uh, but again, it t- tends to be marriage you know, and, and funerals. And so that's a lot of what happens. A lot of our time uh, when I did this two years ago was spent on marriage because, again, that's sort of the, the – um, there's lots of other kind of moving parts because there's legal considerations. Whereas if you're performing a memorial service, you're just essentially performing that service for the family. Anyone can do it. No one cares. Exactly. Whereas there are typically some kind of legal requirements with, with some exceptions state by state. And that's the big thing. It varies wildly by state. Okay. Uh, So let's talk about this for a little bit, because I think this is the part where if, you're religious growing up. You never have to necessarily think about these things. And even as an atheist for a long time before I was married, I never really thought about these things. In Indiana, when you mentioned their lawsuit a few years ago, what was the law? Like, the law says you're, anyone can perform the marriage. Anyone can stand up there and say, you know, do you take this man, take this woman, what have you? Anyone can do that. But in order for your marriage to count under the law... What has to happen and who is allowed to make that call? So in a lot of states, this is true for Illinois, and it was it was true in Indiana as well, there tends to be basically a three-step step process. You go to a 
you go to some kind of government official. Oftentimes, it's the county clerk. That's the way it is, I believe, in Illinois and Indiana. And you get a license. And that's where they check to see that, that the couple has actually met all the certain requirements, which may have to do with um, you know, familiar relations or age or things like that. And then from there, you have a period where that has to then be signed off. So you kind of assume within like a 30 or 60 day window, you're going to actually have a ceremony. And then the person who does that ceremony will actually do the second step, which is where we've gotten caught up, which is called solemnizing. And, and, and really, it is as simple as you sign the marriage certificate and you basically say, um, under my sort of legal authorization, this has happened. It's actually final. And then that person who solemnizes actually registers that generally back with the county where it was actually um, where the license was granted in the first place. It's almost like parents signing a permission slip when I was in school and went on field trips or something. It is a little bit like <laughs> that. Um, and actually, it, there's there's a little bit of logic to it in the sense that, like I can tell you for, for Illinois, you um, you have you get your license, it's valid the next calendar day, and it's good for 60 days. If something happens in that time period, even like if somebody gets left at the altar, for instance, in a wedding ceremony, if that doesn't kick in, you're not stuck with that person. You don't have to go through any sort of legal process for that. It just never kicks in because you didn't do that second step. So if the second step didn't happen, we're not officially married. Right. Okay. Yeah. You have to actually go through that second step. So there's still like an additional, um, I think I think I referred to it at one point as sort of a buyer's remorse period. <laughs> uh, that you, you get that a little bit of a buffer. And, um, and some people don't need it. Some people would get married the next day. They'd be solemnized, they'd register, and they wouldn't use that whole window, which again is fine because, you know, we expect that they're grown adults, they're making this choice, and they understand the repercussions of that. Uh, but that, but that solemnizing tends to get, get attached to two main groups of people, uh, certain kinds of public officials, which could be judges. Some states have, uh, justice of the peace. Um, there are some states where like, um, notary public that actually are sort of, um, that are appointed figures. So if I want uh, a court wedding and not to spend any money right. or anything, that's who would sign off on it. Exactly. And, and then the other alternative for most states is our religious officials, clergy of any kind, or individuals who get an authorization, whether it's an ordination or some kind of thing, from an organization that has a religious charter. So this so, is weird, because in college, I remember my roommates and I, this is before I was really heavily into atheism at all, we would joke about this sort of thing that, oh, our friends are getting married or something. We could go to, like, the Universal Life Church online, pay a, pay a few bucks, and now we're ordained ministers of this mm -hmm. church no one actually really attends. Uh, yep. But it counts. But the thing to remember is you are technically a religious celebrant. Yeah, it only took you five minutes and a few bucks, but you're a religious minister who can solemnize this wedding. Right, and that's where this—that's where we get we get really caught up on this. And I've had a lot of people who, when I've explained the issue, they actually tell me just straight out, like, that's not true. It didn't happen. Like, I had a I had a secular wedding. I had a secular celebrant, and in in say like in Illinois, and and I have to explain to them like, well, okay, well, was this somebody from like the universal who got a universal life church ordination and just didn't give you a religious wedding, or was it someone from a group like the Humanist Society or various other groups that that really, in in sort of their in their their ethos, they really aren't religious in nature, but their organization is. And they're using the existing 
state laws which allow religious officials to actually work through that and kind of have this weird loophole where they get to to not be religious but have the benefit of of the <laughs> they get to benefit from the religious privilege of having that. Uh, that, again, that's that's the true for like again, humanist so society you, is the one that really <laughs> stands out because it's humanist in the name, and people right. assume okay, humanist, what well, secular humanist, not religious. But they say they're religious to get around this, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. The organization, from a functional perspective, is okay. That's what they're they're think. Whereas, like Center for Inquiry, Center for Inquiry is just a nonprofit organization, an educational organization. There is absolutely no religious affiliation to them whatsoever. They're not making any, they're not making any, um, any pretense to that. And that's the basis for actually challenging this is to say they should have the right to do this because they're, um, what is sometimes referred to as like a life stance organization. So sort of like broader than religion, but in serving a similar function in terms of philosophy and, and again, sort of an ethical system. Uh, and, and they say, yeah, people who fall within this should also be able to do the same thing, but they shouldn't have to jump through a religious hoop to do it. Or as the, when the seventh circuit ruled in Indiana to basically say that people should have to become hypocrites in order to, to (laughs) benefit from this, this state, the state of the law. Okay, so let's go to Illinois. At this point, are you a celebrant before the lawsuit kicks in? Like you're a celebrant and you want to perform marriages, but what you're not able to because CFI is not a religious organization? Is that the issue? Well, I can in the sense that if somebody wanted me to just do the officiating, again, I would come and do only the ceremonial aspects of that but I would have absolutely no legal authority to sign the marriage certificate, which again, they need, Right. then yeah, I, I mean, I could do that. So you could do but, everything, but they still need a religious figure or a judge to sign off and make it a, a an officially binding contract of sorts. That's exactly right. Okay, so tell me about the lawsuit. How did that begin? And like, what was the process leading up to that then? Well, the the first thing is actually that we didn't really start, we started with a lawsuit as sort of the back in the back of our heads as the as ultimately the the threat uh, that we we knew since this decision in Indiana is the Seventh Circuit um, Court of Appeals and that covers both Illinois Indiana and Wisconsin so even though that decision only dealt specifically with the Indiana statute the same principle that the Seventh Circuit handed down in 2014 would also apply to the other two states that are in that circuit. So we knew that if we wanted to challenge the law, we would be able to do so. So we started off thinking Illinois is not a state that really we should have had to worry about fighting. Not only do we have a Democratic legislature, but also, I mean, ultimately, this should have been something that we could have just handled through, through, through again, just getting a bill passed. Yeah, I mean, this is not a controversial issue by any means. No one, I I can't imagine even religious conservatives are saying, like, no, atheists aren't allowed to give weddings. Maybe they are, I don't know. But it doesn't seem like it should be a controversial issue. No, and and our experience is that it wasn't. Uh, And that's maybe the most frustrating thing about this. So we started lobbying for this back in in, uh, in January of 2015. Uh, and I started off by by lobbying my own legislators and, and talking to them, call, calling their offices, sending le- letters. And my big thing was the state of Illinois is in a really bad financial shape right now. Uh, and we don't want to have to sue. We will if we have to because we think this is a right that uh, secular celebrants should have in the state. And we think that it's a, it's easily a winnable case for us. 
but we don't really want to go through the, that, the trouble of that. So help us actually craft some legislation to fix the issue and, and then not have to worry about it. And to be honest, for most of the past couple of years, there have been moments where I have been exceptionally hopeful. Uh, we, we had the very first, within the first few months, I had my own Republican legislators at the time who who each my both my state representative and my state senator who who were calling me on the phone saying yeah, yeah this this makes sense we should definitely try and do this and it looked like it was going to go ahead and move forward but unfortunately the both the um the republican minority in in uh, the general assembly the legislature here and the governor sort of had different uh priorities that they wanted to push so it got dropped the first the first time around so we thought okay we'll keep trying our next step was then to actually get to sort of ramp up the lobbying from there uh we ended up hiring the 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 law firm Schiff harden out of chicago which actually was able to help us both lobby and then eventually do the lawsuit and so we started pushing that way. By that point, I actually had different legislators who were Democrats and started pushing it again from there. Um, the meantime, we're, we're talking to practically every level of Illinois government you can think of that would be relevant. We, we talked with the attorney general's office. We were talking with the governor's office. Uh, really, we were all over the place trying to do that. And I have to say, we, it was really mostly a CFI effort for that. I did what I could from my angle, but a lot of that was being done behind the scenes in ways that, that I can't take credit for. But uh, we actually were successful in getting the um, Senate president, John Cullerton, who's a Democrat, in, behind that. And actually in May of this year, we got an amendment to a bill that would actually have allowed us, if we'd gotten it all the way through, um, to have secular celebrants in the state illegally authorized, actually put into the statute to, to be able to solemnize marriages. What happened was the bill passed in the Senate. It was actually unanimous. There were about eight. Uh, no votes, but nobody voted against it. Um, and, uh, and so, so again, Democrat, Republican, no, there was really no opposition to it. Um, I think there may have been some people who were confused about what it actually meant, but, uh, but ultimately nobody was opposed to it. And they understood, again, we avoid the lawsuit, so it's not a huge issue. Then it ultimately what happened is it just never really got picked up by the House. And again, the, anyone who who knows the the drama that's been going on in the Illinois legislature uh, in terms of budget fights and um, and our again democratically controlled legislature very much at odds with our Republican governor, it really worked against us. We should have been able to push it through, but the circumstances really made it so that the lack of opposition wasn't the issue. It was just a lack of interest in helping us take up the issue at this point in time. And so it, the, the ball was dropped. And in July, we decided we had enough and went ahead and followed the lawsuit. Yeah, you tried doing everything the right way. And by the way, you said you were optimistic about the bill passing. I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe the Illinois legislature and the word opti- I've never and use the word optimistic in the same sentence. But okay, well, maybe you, that's a relative term, but... <laughs> but you tried all the right ways, quote-unquote, to do it. Nothing worked, so then you decided to sue. Right. And uh, and so we did actually sue. We, we sued the, the county where I live, which is Macon County, um, sort of right in the middle of the state. And uh, Im- immediately from there, tried to, to find some ways to, to give them an out. To say, let's just go ahead. If you settle this, 
will ask you to, to help us declare this, um, to have the, the statute evaluated as unconstitutional um, in federal court, which would make it so it was binding on the entire state. And, um, and it would be a fairly easy process. Well, unfortunately, they didn't make it easy on us. They filed a motion to dismiss. Who is we they? We had to push it through. Who is they? Uh, they, in this case, is the Macon County clerk, um, who's a guy by the name of Steve, uh, Stephen Bean, who he was being advised by some private counsel. Actually, my understanding is that he was advised by, by the local state's attorney, just go ahead and take care of it. But again, that was a choice they decided not to make. So they made it a little harder for us. And we had to essentially make what would have probably easily been a two to three month battle into more like five or so. Okay. And so you actually have to file a lawsuit. A judge looks at this lawsuit. Um, tell me if I'm skipping anything important, but we finally get the decision this week. Uh, and what did that judge basically say? Well, the judge actually sort of signed off on, on, on a settlement agreement that we had with, with the county, which was to say to declare an injunction saying that Macon County wouldn't be permitted to deny the paperwork from me and then actually conceding that the unconstitutionality of the statute. Again, nobody here at the, the county was really interested in fighting the, the battle, I think, long term. I think they essentially thought we maybe would just give up on it if they fought us a little bit. We weren't willing to do that. And uh, and so that was that was really the, the, the gist of it is they, were, they agreed that they w- would accept an injunction not to, to, to block this. So if I were wanted to, to to solemnize a, a marriage in the county, they would go ahead and they would file the paperwork and they would treat it just as any other, uh, any other, any other marriage being performed in the in the county, and then it would have force of law across the state. So then CFI could actually start contacting other counties and say, hey, if you get anyone who's a secular celebrant, here's a decision. You do need to actually go ahead and give this, even though the statute doesn't have us written in it. Is the statute ever going to be changed, or will it just be assumed, yeah, it doesn't say atheist, but atheists count? Uh, let's just say I'm not optimistic about that. <laughs> okay. But the uh, the weight of the law now, uh, the weight of this decision, is that it counts all throughout Illinois. If there is another secular celebrant out there in, in a different county, that person can also solemnize wedding ceremonies. Th- yes, that's correct. Okay, well, here's one thing that really interested me. Uh, you wrote about this on your website, and, and I sh- uh, should definitely mention that. Uh, Galen is also on the Patheos Network, which I'm also on. His blog is called Across Rivers Wide, and we'll have a link to that. But you wrote that even some atheists, after this victory was announced this week, some atheists acted like, eh, who cares, and that this was, they were almost criticizing you for bringing it up. And why is that? What, were the, what was their opposition to all this? Well, there tend to be a couple of things. I think we're kind of past the point where people are are arguing. That was one thing I, I noticed throughout, basically since July. Again, people arguing, no, that's actually not true. Well, we've taken it to federal court, and the judges have basically agreed with us that there's a <laughs> there's a, a a disparity between how religious officials and secular celib- and secular officials are being treated. So there's that. Um, I have had a little bit of opposition where people will kind of say, okay, that's great in terms of of a, a, a church state sort of thing, but why are we even bothering with, with marriage? Like why, why aren't we just trying to make so that refer, religious officials aren't 
able to do this either. And so everybody has to basically go to the government, go to city hall and get your marriage license. And that's all you need. Sort of a saying that American, I think America should sort of take a, what I think is more of like a European style approach. Everything is, is civil. There's the religious stuff or any other ceremonial stuff is completely outside, but you just deal with the, the, the actual civil marriage stuff and that's it. And nobody else has any other responsibility. So in a sense, they were criticizing you for, because you were fighting to get the same rights as religious officiants and they, these critics more or less said you should have fought for religious officiants not to have those rights at all. That way, the, we're all on the same playing field still. It's just neither of us have this option. I, I think it's it's either, either that we should have had that fight or that that the victory doesn't really mean a whole lot. I think I heard somebody, I saw somebody was at one point call it a Pyrrhic victory, which I, 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 I definitely think is, is not the case. Yeah, no, uh, who's, what's being screwed over as a result of this? Right. We don't lose anything in terms of that. I mean, if somebody wants to take up the issue and say, let's simplify the whole process. So where you go get a license, you sign off on the license and it's done. Like if somebody wanted to say that that should be simplified, that's an argument that people are are certainly uh, that they have the prerogative to to make that argument. Uh, ultimately, mm. what it comes down to me is I don't think really people really understand how tedious a process this is. <laughs> Lobbying is not something that you can do on a weekend. Yeah, seriously. Do you think the whole marriage code is going to change anytime right. soon? Like that's not going to happen. And I mean, this was one of the issues, too, with like gay marriage before it was legal across the country. People were saying, uh, well, at least you can have the judge sign off on it. But it would have been nice. I'm sure a lot of gay couples, too, said it would be nice to be solemnized with through a real wedding and through a friend of ours who wanted to do it, but without having to go through a religious service, even though gay marriage is legal now. I mean, now they kind of have that option. They can have someone uh, who isn't connected at all with a religious faith perform the wedding and solemnize it, which is which is nice to have that option. Exactly, and and the, kind of the point for me is that if you go into a judge, you really don't know what you're, you're what you're getting from that. And my my whole stance from now not from not from a legal perspective, from sort of my uh, my own ethical position as a celebrant, uh, is very much about trying to gauge what kind of perspective someone's coming from, whether or not that they would consider themselves a secular humanist um, or, or an atheist or just sort of generically non-religious or, or, or they don't care what – they don't want their views reflected. They just want a generic sort of this is this is a marriage ceremony. We just want to get through it, but we don't want to have all of the religious entanglements with it. Like that's stuff that I try and actually – work on and try and fit fit a service to fit whatever couple I'm going to be working with. So a judge isn't going to do that. You're going to go in and you're going to get you're going to get something that's just essentially boilerplate kind of stuff. A judge is not going to sit there with you and try and make sure that they're using language that reflects your views and and uh, respects your own philosophy, your own um, your own way of thinking. Whereas that's that's the place where a secular celebrant could actually do that. Yeah, it's a more personalized ceremony. So now that this is legal, uh, what are you going to do now? Because now you can at least advertise your services <laughs> and say, hey, I can do this now. So like, you know, hire me. Or I don't know what the case is. How many secular celebrants are there in Illinois? As of right now, and that's, I think, pretty quickly, it could change. Uh, CFI 
only has just me as a, as an actual certified celebrant. There are lots of people in Illinois who have gone through the workshop at different places. They've they've done it at different, uh, lots of different events. So like like their women women and secularism conference, um, their their actual conference. I think that they had in um, in in Buffalo. They 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 do this this training periodically. Uh, Reba Boyd Wooden, who's the the head of the secular celebrant program. And the executive director of CFI Indiana, she's the one who brought the lawsuit there, who's one of the plaintiffs with CFI. She um, does a fabulous job going all over the country, um, going to places like Oregon and Texas and doing these trainings so that we have people in those places. And sometimes it is to, to have people in place who um, can, then will have standing to go ahead and challenge those laws. We've really only done that here twice now. And this is all within the same circuit. Right. I, there's ultimately, I think, CFI has a goal of of going to different places and in different legislative um, appellate circuits to try and actually challenge it in other places. And ultimately, I think they're going to end up being successful on that. I say that in part because I really have a lot of respect for the for the the legal team that's there. Um, Nick Little, who's the who's the general counsel and vice president of, of CFI, is just phenomenal at working with this stuff and finding people in in the states that he needs to um, to start to take these 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 uh, uh, fights on. He was a huge part of the the lobbying effort uh, as well. Um, I, I seriously have to give a lot of credit to Nick for for a lot of this victory because he's the one who did a lot of the the legwork and making that work. Um, it, and those, that's the kind of thing we'll keep we'll keep seeing CFI. They're going to keep pushing this in states like Michigan and Texas and Ohio and Oregon, where there's already been efforts. But now we've got two court cases, uh, two precedents that can now be taken, and hopefully we'll bolster that case a little bit. Uh, who knows whether or not that'll uh, wh- how that'll actually play out? But I know that's CFI's goal, at least at this point. Well, that's wonderful. And congratulations on the victory. So if anyone is in Illinois, they are getting married, they want to have a human, uh, a secular celebrant, uh, how do they reach you? And, you know, hopefully when this expands and there are more options in general in Illinois, uh, what, what should they do? Well, the best place to find me is I actually have um, a website that's set up for me, which is centralillinoiscelebrant.com. And people can go there and find a whole bunch of information. It is actually now finally up to date. And a lot of my information, which was sort of, here's all the things I provide. And here's this big caveat about what I can do in terms of marriages. Now I got to wipe that all clean and say, everything's good. We can do this just like normal. <laughs> um, CFI also has, um, if you go to their website, centerforinquiry.net, there's actually a whole list by state of different celebrants that that has the contact information for those people. Um, and you can find that, uh, th- that's a really good resource. A lot of people will work out of multiple states. So if somebody's in like uh, New Jersey, they might do weddings in Pennsylvania as well, or DC might do in Virginia or something like that. Uh, so there, there's a lot of that information that's out there right now. And again, I expect now that we have this done and we're going to be doing some more trainings in the state for uh, for secular celebrants, you'll start to see those numbers increase. And hopefully we'll get some more people who uh, will be able to handle a little more of the territory. Uh, if I end up being the, the only secular celebrant in the state <laughs> for long, uh, I'm going to have to do a lot of traveling. Right. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure we'll end up, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to end up having some more, certainly in the Chicago area, and hopefully we'll have some more downstate as well. So again, we have that, if anybody, if whoever has the need, uh, regardless of whether or not they are a secular humanist or an atheist or, or whatever, uh, they'll be able to do that. And I honestly, I really think that this is a good thing for a lot of people because 
there was a I know there was a case that I can't remember if it was last year or the year before where it was I think it was last year where a couple from Wisconsin came to Illinois and they wanted a secular wedding, but they weren't actually atheists. One was a Christian and one was was Jewish, <laughs> and they just wanted a secular wedding and they couldn't they weren't allowed to do that because the the keeper of this inn, the 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 owner of this inn where they were trying to do it said no it had to be christian like hmm. that they they should have had a secular wedding because they didn't want religion involved because there was a conflict they didn't want it to be an issue between their families so why not why not have a secular celebrant do that it's not just have for somebody, us right right it, it's it's something that i think can be uh, can be a useful service to a lot of people regardless of their background uh, again our our perspective is that that we shouldn't be limited by the fact that, again, I, I'm not religious, so I'm not going to pretend that I am, and I don't think I should have to pretend to do so to just get this right, and now I don't have to. But if whoever, if someone wants to come to me and says, okay, I'm religious, my spouse isn't, we'd like to have a non-religious wedding just so we don't get that complication involved, and this what's supposed to be one of the most special days of our lives, like, okay, yes, let's do that. Let's make it work in a way that's sensitive to both of your views and just keeps religion out of it. Right. I think that's a, I think that's a really useful thing for a lot of people. And, and I think it's maybe one of the reasons why I haven't seen a whole lot of people who have been vehemently opposed. Everybody's just kind of like, okay, sure. That's, that's something we could definitely go <laughs> ahead and do. And I will say you, as a point of personal privilege and stuff, a couple, uh, a few years ago when I got married, I had a humanist uh, celebrant who I think if, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about it because I had all these other things on my mm -hmm. mind when the wedding's going on. But I think he was through that humanist uh, celebrant service where the humanist society, which mm -hmm. is, like you said, is religious in nature, even though it's a secular thing. But I will say it was a non-religious ceremony for a very religious family and mm -hmm. no one seemed to notice. They were just like, oh, well, that was a really cool ceremony. Like the things right. that were said there, it, none of it was anti-religious. None of it was atheist in nature. It just mm -hmm. didn't involve God. There was no Bible reading. We read from other things. Like it was a really nice ceremony. And it's really neat that that is an option that's on the table for people who, who've been to weddings, like I'm sure both of us have, and have just kind of like sat there when someone's reading a Bible verse or a minister who's never met this couple or, you know, just met them recently mm -hmm. is doing the service. It's a very different feel when it's someone you know and someone who can speak to, to the, the love, the situation at hand without bringing God into it. It's, it's a neat thing. Right, and and whether or not that ends up being a, a secular celebrant like CFIs or a humanist celebrant like the Humanist Society, I think that in itself is is just something that people can get behind. And I think more and more you're going to see that, and probably are already seeing that, where people are looking for that kind of thing. And so so now there's a there's just one more option that's on the table for people. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for fighting this lawsuit and congratulations on the victory. And if you're interested in having Galen or another secular celebrant, maybe in the future, perform your wedding ceremony, we'll have links to more information about that in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for being with me and thanks for talking about this. Thanks a lot, Hammond, for having me. <laughs> 